Uh, this week we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7 to 16. Uh, some of you might be wondering, what happened to chapter 3, verse 16, to chapter 4, verse 6? Uh, next week we'll be looking at that passage. Um, long story short, we made a little mistake in the preaching calendar, but that's being rectified, and we decided to stick with this alteration. So next week, Mark will be preaching from chapter 3, verse 16, to chapter 4, verse 6, but today we're looking at Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 7 to 16. So can I encourage you now to open up your Bibles to this passage, or alternatively, you can find that in our church newsletter, our corner post. So that's Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 7 to 16. And this is God's word. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. And his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to your word now, our Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us by your spirit. Our Father, we pray that your spirit would teach us, teach us what your word has to say this morning. Our Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be with each of us, help us to be attentive to your word, guide us and strengthen us by your spirit. And Father, we just pray for this time now that we have together as we hear from it. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, There is a saying that would be very familiar to us. Pride comes before the fall. In other words, people who are overconfident or arrogant can fall into the trap of causing their own downfall. I remember something like this happened to me while I was at uni. I remember doing an assignment, and when I saw the assignment, I was so excited because I thought I was going to get top marks. I thought I was going to ace the assignment. However, what I failed to acknowledge was the actual question underpinning the topic. I needed to talk about certain theories and how they interact with said topic. But you know what I did, don't you? I actually wrote an assignment and I never answered the question. I never talked about the theories. And in all my studies, it was the only assignment I ever failed. In my pride, in my own overconfidence, my own arrogance, I thought I would score a spectacular touchdown. But what I actually caused was a massive fumble. 
Has something like this ever happened to you? That your pride or your overconfidence led to a massive fumble? Led to your own great fall? In our, passage, in our passage today, we see two instances in which pride causes a great fall. In our passage today, we see that there is a great folly found in self-sufficiency. That there is a certain lifestyle stemming from pride and self-sufficiency that can lead us to a lonely and meaningless existence. In our passage today, we learn two lessons from two people. And the first lesson comes from the isolated man. And the second lesson comes from the idiot king. The lesson learned from the isolated man is a lesson reminding us that we were not created to be alone. We were made by God to be in relationship with others. Have a look at verse 7 and see what Solomon says here. Solomon says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Uh, if you've just joined us in our series in Ecclesiastes, you may not realize what this means. Here Solomon uses the refrain, under the sun. And he uses it quite often. A total of 29 times throughout the book. And so if he uses it that many times, you know it's important. You know it's something to take notice of. But what does it mean? Well, the refrain under the sun is referring to living in a fallen world. That everything since the fall of Adam and Eve has been vanity. It has been hevel. There is meaninglessness. There is frustration. In other words, what Solomon sees living in this fallen world is that people will seek an autonomy. Seek an autonomy at the expense of their own joy. And contentment. Have a look at what verse 8 says. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. In one of the Hobbit movies, when Thorin finally reclaims the wealth that was lost to the dragon smile, he says he will not share this massive wealth with anyone. He says, I will not part with a single coin. Now, in this scene, all he wants is more treasure, the Arkenstone. He doesn't see what he already has. He has the mountain. He has his home. He has an abundance of gold. But his desires are not satisfied. Dragon sickness clouds his mind and he becomes obsessed with treasure. Now, this scene in The Hobbit captures it so well. To have wealth and not be content is a sickness. It's a sickness. Matthew Henry in his commentary sees someone who has become a slave to his work. One who has more than enough wealth for his back, his belly, for a family. And in the world's eyes, more than enough to have a decent living. But for this man, his eyes are wanting more. And in that desire of wanting more, he denies himself of all comforts. 
of all joys. It's almost like we hear from this man's mouth the same words that are said by Thorin. I will not part with a single coin. This man, in seeking to build his own kingdom, has led to a miserable outcome. A miserable isolation. We could almost say that this man has got dragon sickness. A desire for more wealth but never having enough. And what has caused this great sickness, we ask? Well, it's sin. Sin has driven this man to only think about himself and no one else. And as a consequence, he has no joy in his work. He has no joy in life. Our friends, can I say work was never meant to be a grind? Uh, sometimes we can feel like that during the week. But it was never meant to be a taskmaster to rule over us. As we look at the beginning of Genesis, work was created by God. And work was a good thing. We are meant to find contentment, even joy from our work. But sadly, sin has distorted this. We also learn from the creation account that God also created man to not work alone. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. As Adam named all the animals, help was not found in the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, or the fish of the sea. After seeing and naming all the animals, Adam was still alone. In other words, our passage is saying here, dog is not man's best friend. Man's best friend is another human being. True companionship was only found when Adam's eyes met Eve. Bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. A companion who was just like him. God made us to be in relationship with others. Again, sin has distorted this. Envy and pride have become motivators to work and live in isolation. To live a life without companionship. And as we look at how this man embraced this lifestyle, we look at him and there is no joy. It's a miserable business. And sadly, this life cycle happened to any of us. Sin through a pride and desire to be autonomous can drive us to only think about ourselves. Sin has caused a great sickness in our world. To do life alone was never part of God's plan. We were made to be in relationship with others, to find joy in those relationships. I look what Solomon says in verse 9 to 11. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? A God's good design is that life is meant to be enjoyed and done with others. And by doing with others, it leads to great benefits. Our two people can do so much more than either of them could ever do by themselves. If tragedy strikes, the other one can be there to pick them up when they fall down. And having another person means never having to be alone. Friends, we were created 
not to be alone. We were created by God to be in relationship with others, to be in community with others. That's how God made us. But sin has distorted this. However, the good news is that Christ redeems. Christ redeems what sin distorts. Through Christ, we have relationship with God the Father. But also through this gift of salvation, friends, we have been given one another. We have been given the church. That as a member of the church, we would find ourselves surrounded by community. Our God has given us one another. God has given us one another to be in relationship with each other. Solomon says, verse 12, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We ask ourselves, how much more are a cord of 150? If each of us were a cord and the gospel has woven us together, woven us together in Christ, and if we as a church continue to fix our eyes on Christ, continue to walk in His ways, continue to be obedient to Him. Well, Jesus says not even the gates of hell can destroy that. Christ has given us one another. The gospel leads us to find joy in companionship. As sin can drive us to a self-sufficiency born out of pride and envy. And in doing so, a life of loneliness of discontentment. But the gospel redeems broken relationships. It shows and reminds us that we were made for them. And relationships are also a gift from God that can help us to not fall into folly. The lesson learned from the idiot king is a lesson reminding us that with wisdom, that wisdom can be found by being in relationship with others. Have a look now at verse 13 to 15. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. I can often think that gray hairs equal wisdom. However, Solomon says this isn't always the case. In the book of Job, we see an example of this. Elihu, who was younger than, than Job's three other friends, had more wisdom than the three of them combined, even though he was younger. In verses 13 to 16, Solomon is revisiting the subject of wisdom and folly. And he has said previously that wisdom is better than folly, because walking in wisdom, you walk with your eyes open, while to walk in folly is to walk in darkness. Solomon now teaches us a lesson looking at these two characters, a wise youth and an idiot king. And this idiot king has shut himself off from all other opinions. He doesn't listen to the advice that he once did. The only voice that matters to him is now his own. So Solomon sees a great folly. That in our folly we can stop listening to others and only listen to our own counsel. But seeking our own counsel isn't wise. 
Solomon says in the, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 14, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Or Proverbs 15, 22 tells us, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. In other words, not listening to the advice of others is a mark of foolishness. You'd be an idiot not to listen to wise counsel. But that is what this king has done. As he has gotten older, as he has got more gray hairs, he has become wise only in his eyes. And he has forgotten to take the advice of others. Solomon says he's become a fool. While this youth, while this youth compared to the idiot king is seen as wise. But where does this wisdom come from? Well, the text doesn't actually give us a clear answer. However, I think it can be, the answer can be inferred from the text. That the youth is wise because he surrounds himself with people. He perhaps is listening to the advice of others. And I think that's what somewhat is seen in verse 15. That the youth is being surrounded by people. He isn't doing life by himself. He's doing it with them, with others. I think it's reasonable to say that the text is contrasting someone who has isolated himself with someone who is surrounded by people and who is listening to their wisdom, their guidance. That there is a wisdom found, friends, in companionship, but a folly found in isolation. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I can fall into the trap of being like the idiot king. I think it's a trap that we can all fall into. As verse 16 presents, that over time and with age, we will all consider ourselves wiser than others. That we will eventually only listen to our own counsel rather than the ideas or the counsel of others. I think that's why we often say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Or we say of certain people, oh, they're so stuck in their ways. There's no point reasoning with them. Sadly, I think it's a trap that we can all fall into. Because in our sin, we start thinking only about us. Start only thinking about us and no one else. We can fall into the trap of thinking that we are right and everyone else is wrong. And why do we fall into this trap? Oh, we fall into this trap when we neglect God's good design when we neglect God's good design for how we are meant to live, when we live for ourselves and not for God and not for others, we fall into this trap when sin has been guiding us rather than allowing God to guide us. Sin can drive us to a self-sufficiency born out of pride and envy. It can lead us to doing life alone. And in the eyes of Solomon, this is a sad existence. So we ask, we ask, what is the solution? How do we ensure that we, that we here don't fall into this trap? Well, if pride causes us to find meaninglessness and a striving after the wind, and sin is the driving factor that causes this, then the answer to pride is to clothe ourselves in humility, which is only possible through Christ. 
in whom sin and all its consequences are defeated. And one of my favorite parts of Colossians, and also I think one of the clearest summaries of the gospel, is found in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Let me read that out for us. Where Paul says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our Christ has done for his people is that He has given them, given them new life. Through this mighty work of His death and resurrection, we have been rescued from the kingdom of Satan and brought into His kingdom. It is through this great work that we now belong to Christ. And if we belong to Christ, we are to live for Him. Our New Testament reading highlights what it means to live for Christ, now being united to Him, having been raised with Him. What it means to live now being part of His kingdom. Colossians 3 tells us how to live as a child of God. And Colossians 3, if you have the passage in front of you, that would be helpful, um, tells us that we are to take off the old self. Colossians 3 verse 5 says it even more strongly. We are to put to death the old self. We are to put to death what is earthly in us. John 3 says that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. If we belong to Christ, friends, we have been born of the Spirit. Our deeds and our lives then need to reflect what the Spirit is doing in us. Therefore, having been saved by Christ, being united to Him, we are to remove, we are to put to death what is sinful in us. We are to put to death what is prideful. In us. And verse 12 says, We are to clothe ourselves with new garments, garments which have been given to us by our Lord Jesus. And one of the things we are to clothe ourselves is with humility. If pride is the result of sin, humility is a gift given to us from God. We ask then, what does it mean to clothe ourselves with this gift? What does it mean to live in humility? Well, let me limit my suggestions from our passage in Ecclesiastes. And I have two suggestions of what it means to clothe ourselves in humility. The first suggestion is, don't, don't do life by yourself. Rather, do life with others. What does this look like for the Christian? Well, it means getting involved in church. Being in community with other believers, serve in church. Uh, when, the, when the service is finished today, stay for a while. Have a cuppa. Get to know some people. Get to know people perhaps you don't know. Don't just go to the people you do know. Find someone else you don't know. Join a growth group. Ask Libby, ask Trish how you can get involved on one of our rosters. A serving is a great way of feeling part of the church. And the good news is God equips you for doing life within the church. In my growth group last week, we were looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is what it says. That God gives us. God gives us gifts for service. And He also provides us with the strength needed to serve others. In other words, not only does God give us a community, 
He empowers us by His Spirit to serve that community. And by doing so, we build up the body of Christ. By doing life together, we're able to do more for the body of Christ than we could ever do on our own. By doing life together, we're able to help each other when we fall down, when we fall on hard times, whether that's physically or spiritually. And together, we can do so much more than we could ever do on our own. And the second suggestion I have is, do life with God. Do life with God. It's often said at weddings from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, that a marriage with God at the center will yield a fruitful and happy marriage. That God is that third strand. Can I say that isn't just true of weddings? It's true of all of life. If God is at the center of our lives, if we are being clothed by Christ, being shaped and transformed by Him, then friends, we will have meaning. We will have purpose. We will be living a meaningful existence done in community but more so done with God, in whom true wisdom and life is found. Doing life in God's design is what we were made for. We were made to be in relationship with others. We were made not to do life alone. We were made to do it with others and with God at the center. Now let me end with this story. There are people whom I love who have very little community and have no love for God. And perhaps we also know people like this. Friends. Family. And as I look at my loved ones and I see their lives, it looks miserable. As Solomon said, living alone and not enjoying life lived in God's design is a miserable business. Can I share with all of you that as I looked at these loved ones of mine who are outside of Christ, I realized how merciful God has been to me. Because I realized that unless God had saved me, I don't think my life would have been any different from theirs. It would have been a miserable business. Friends, it's a grace from God to be united to Christ. To be clothed by Him. It's a grace from God to have companionship with other believers. It's a grace from God to be part of the church. It is a grace from God to be able to have fellowship and relationship with Him. Sin drives us away from God's good design. Sin drives us towards a pride and self-sufficiency that is toxic. Sin drives us to a meaningless and miserable existence that is forever chasing after the wind. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who through Jesus gives us purpose. Thanks be to God who clothes us in His righteousness and gives us blessing upon blessing upon further blessing. Thanks be to God who has given us meaning, wisdom, and life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you. We thank you for your gift and your mercy given to us, that through Jesus we have been given wisdom. 
We have been given life. We have been given purpose. Our Father, we pray protect us from the attacks of the evil one who will be seeking to tempt us to be like the isolated man, like the idiot king. Our Father, we pray, Lord, help us each and every day to take off, to put to death the old self. Father, we pray, help us to clothe ourselves with the garments that you have given us. Father, help us to put on the new self each and every day. And Father, we want to pray in particular today for loved ones, for friends, for family that don't know you. Our Father, we pray have mercy on, unto them. Our Father, we pray, Lord, that just as you have given us mercy, just as you have given us life, our Father, we pray have mercy on them. Our Father, we pray for their souls. Bring them out of darkness and give them life, we pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the word that we have received today. Our Father, help us to live for you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, musicians.